Reshit, the Genesis of Love. In The Lonely Man of Faith, Rabbi Soloveitchik drew our attention to the fact that there are two accounts of creation, the first in Genesis 1, the second in chapters 2 and 3, and they're significantly different. In the first, God is called Elohim. In the second, Hashem Elohim. In the first, man and woman are created simultaneously, male and female, he created them. In the second, they are created sequentially, first man, then woman. In the first, humans are commanded to fill the earth and subdue it. In the second, the first human is placed in the garden, to serve it and preserve it. In the first, humans are described as in the image and likeness of God. In the second, man is created from dust of the earth. The explanation, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, is that the Torah is describing two aspects of our humanity that he calls respectively majestic man and covenantal man. We are majestic masters of creation. That's the message of Genesis 1. But we also experience existential loneliness. We seek covenant and connection. That's the message of Genesis 2. There is, though, another strange duality, a story told in two quite different ways, that has to do not with creation but with human relationships. There are two different accounts of the way the first man gives a name to the first woman. This is the first. He says, Zota Pam, this time, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, for she was taken from man, Ish. The second appears many verses later, and it says, and the man called his wife Chava, Eve, because she was the mother of all life. The difference between these two accounts are highly consequential. In the first, the man names not a person, but a class, a category. He doesn't use a name, but a noun. The other person is for him simply woman, a type, not an individual. In the second, he gives his wife a proper name. She's become for him a person in her own right. The second is that the first time he emphasizes their similarities. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. But in the second, he emphasizes the difference. She can give birth, but he can't. We hear this in the very sound of the names. Ish and Isha sound similar because they are similar. Adam and Chava don't sound similar at all. The next difference is in the first. It's the woman who's portrayed as dependent. She was taken from man. In the second, it's the other way around. Adam, from Adama, which means ground, earth, represents mortality. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground, Adama, since from it you were taken. It's Chava who redeems man from mortality by bringing new life into the world. Fourth, the consequences of the two acts of naming are completely different. After the first comes the sin of eating the forbidden fruit and the punishment exile from Eden. But after the second, we read that God made for the couple kotnot or, garments of skin, with an iron, and he clothed them. This is a gesture of protection and love. In the school of Rabbi Meir, they read this phrase as kotnot or, with an aleph, garments of light. God robed them with radiance. 
Only after the man has given his wife a proper name do we find the Torah referring to God himself by his proper name alone, namely Hashem. That first appears in chapter 4. Until then he's been either Elohim or Hashem Elohim, Elohim being the impersonal aspect of God, God as law, power, justice. In other words, our relationship to God parallels our relationship to one another. Only when we respect and recognize the uniqueness of another person are we capable of respecting and recognizing the uniqueness of God himself. Now let's return to the two creation accounts, this time not looking at what they tell us about humanity, but simply at what they tell us about creation. In Genesis 1, God creates things, chemical elements, stars, planets, life forms, biological species. In Genesis 2 and 3, he creates people. In chapter 1, he creates systems. In the second chapter, he creates relationships. It's fundamental to the Torah's view of reality that these things belong to different worlds, distinct narratives, separate stories, alternative ways of seeing reality. And there are differences in tone as well. In the first, creation involves no effort on the part of God. He just speaks. He says, let there be, and there was. In the second, he is actively engaged. So when it comes to the creation of the first human, he doesn't merely say, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He performs the creation himself like a sculptor fashioning an image out of clay. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. In Genesis 1, God effortlessly summons the universe into being. In Genesis 2, he becomes a gardener. Now the Lord God planted a garden. We wonder why on earth God, who has just created an entire universe, should become a gardener? The Torah gives us the answer, and it's very moving. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God wanted to give man the dignity of work, of being a creator, not just a creation. And in case man should view such labor as undignified, God became a gardener himself to show that this work, too, is divine. And in performing it, man becomes God's partner in the work of creation. And then comes the extraordinarily poignant verse. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. God feels for the existential isolation of the first man. There's no such moment in the previous chapter. There God simply creates. Here God empathizes. He enters into the human mind. He feels what we feel. There's no such moment in any other ancient religious literature. What's radical about biblical monotheism isn't just that there's only one God, and not just that he's the source of all that exists, but that God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. God knew the loneliness of the first man before the first man knew it of himself. That's what the second creation account is telling us. Creation of things is easy. Creation of relationships is hard. Look at the tender concern God shows for the first human beings in Genesis 2 and 3. He wants man to have the dignity of work. He wants man to know that work itself is divine. He gives man the capacity to name the animals. He cares when he senses the onset of loneliness. He creates the first woman. He watches in exasperation as the first human couple commit 
the first sin. Finally, when the man gives his wife a proper name, recognizing for the first time that she's different from him and that she can do something he will never do, he clothes them both so that they will not go naked into the world. That is the God not of creation, Elohim, but of love, Hashem. That's what makes the dual accounting of the naming of the first woman so significant a parallel to the dual account of God's creation of the universe. We have to create relationships before we can encounter the God of relationship. We have to make space for the otherness of the human other to be able to make space for the otherness of the divine other. We have to give love before we can receive love. In Genesis 1, God creates the universe. Nothing vaster can be imagined, and we keep discovering that the universe is bigger than we thought. In 2016, a study based on three-dimensional modeling of images produced by the Hubble Space Telescope concluded that there were between 10 and 20 times as many galaxies as astronomers had previously thought. There are more than a hundred stars for every grain of sand on Earth. And yet almost in the same breath, as it speaks of the panoply of creation, the Torah tells us that God took time to breathe the breath of life into the first human, give him dignified work, enter his loneliness, make him a wife, and robe them both with garments of light when the time came for them to leave Eden and make their way in the world. The Torah is telling us something very powerful. Never think of people as things. Never think of people as types. They're individuals. And never be content with creating systems. Care also about relationships. I believe that relationships are where our humanity is born and grows, flowers and flourishes. It's by loving people that we learn to love God and feel the fullness of his love for us. Shabbat Shalom.